Wow, the crowds are getting bigger again. That's a good thing, Roger, isn't it? Amen. Thank you for coming. Uh, so the kids are released to do their thing. I think at this point, most of them are on their way. They're going to have some fun over there. Don't make too much noise, by the way. All right, well, thank you again for coming today. Um, you know, there's a lot of things we can do on weekends, isn't there? But what could be better than coming together and worship, worshiping the king? Isn't that great? Uh, so I've got something in store for us this morning. Believe, believe me, it's just as much for me as it is you. Um, what I want to tell of and talk about is really the excitement behind, behind our, our capacity to share the gospel. Each and every one of us, you know, you don't have to be up here. You don't have to be up here singing. You don't have to be, you know, an elder or a deacon or, you know, a whatever servant of the church. God has given us all a sphere of influence. If you're alive, if you have a heartbeat, if you've checked this morning yet, you have the capacity to lead. You have the capacity to spread the word. And that's good news, isn't it? So why do we make it so hard? Why do we make it so hard? I want to start out by telling a story this morning. If you go to the next slide. This is a story of Princess Aura from the land of the Camden Ridge. The setting for this story, if you just can go to the next slide, the setting uh, for this story was that um, spring in the year of 2016, I believe it was anyway, and uh, there, there, were, there was a family gathering at Aura's house. And, and let me tell you, it, it was exciting. Uh, all of the family was gathered. And what was, what was about to happen is the gender of Aura's new sibling was going to be revealed. And so some of the family members uh, here in, in the congregation remember this. It was an exciting time. It was an electric time, right? And the setting was really energetic and anticipation was just dripping off of everybody, right? And and especially Aura, because she was just so excited about the news that mom was having a baby and she got to, you know, play big sister and and she already had all these imaginations of what this could look like. And I'll tell you, most of them were that she was holding this baby girl, her her very own sister. Right, So in her heart, she started to deposit these feelings and these emotions of what it was going to be like to be a big sister to a sister. Right, And so the anticipation comes, and here's how it happened. Her dad was, uh, he, at least he thinks he's a pretty good archer, so what he was going to do is he was going to shoot a, a, an arrow at a balloon, a black balloon filled with water that was going to splash either pink or, or blue. So... All the excitement's in the air, and Dad, you know, gets up on the on the corner of the patio and and draws his bow back, and and everybody's screaming and can't wait, and Aura's just sitting, just waiting to run up with that, with you know, joy, seeing the pink, and Dad lets the arrow go and splash blue all over the place, and nobody else noticed Aura because everybody was going crazy with excitement running around the yard, and little Aura goes up to that target like a laser beam and stands there. And Odessa was the first one, actually, to recognize this. And 
And I was kind of right behind Odessa with the camera, walking up to Orda. And um, Odessa says, Orda, are you okay? And, and I bring the camera around, and Dad didn't have the heart to bring it around to her face because there were lots of tears. And at that moment in time, I'm thinking as a dad, okay, now what? So, you know, those times where you just know that there's nothing else to do except to pray and, and to ask the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to give you the words, and he did. So I knelt down, and I put her on my knee, and I said, Aura, I know that you're disappointed. And you know what? God knows that you're disappointed too. But here's the thing, Aura. If this balloon would have been pink, then you would no longer be my baby girl. This little sibling of yours is not going to take your place. This charming little brother, you're going to, you're going to be able to take care of him and you're going to still be my baby girl. You might be my baby girl forever. Isn't that exciting? And you know how when a kid starts to think and you, you see the, you actually can almost see the gears behind the eyes for about four seconds and this big smile got on her face and all of a sudden she thought, you know what, that's a pretty good idea. I get to be daddy's baby girl and I get to take care of a baby brother and oh my gosh. I mean, she was eating blue M&Ms. She had all the, you know, the blue punch. Forget the pink punch. Everything's blue now. She redressed all of her babies into blue and we just had a great old time. So what what is, I mean, there are many elements of this story, right? But what's the moral? In every story, there's a moral, there's a theme, right? Well, can you think about a theme that might not just only apply to Aura, but for the rest of us as well? Go on to the next slide, please. Don't wish yourself, don't pray yourself out of a title or position that your father has given you. Who's been guilty of that? <laughs> Me? Right? God has given us all the place. He's, if you've looked at your hands recently, we've all got these things called fingerprints. And none of them are the same. It's very interesting to me. None of them are the same. None of us are the same. But we're all called to align to God's story. Sometimes when we wish for other things, when we wish to be other people, or we wish to be in a different job, or we wish to be something we're not, it can even confuse us in the very identity of who we are. That's not a healthy thing. So let's not wish ourselves or pray ourselves into an identity that we are not. We are children of God. We have capacity that's unique to align to his truth and to draw others to Jesus. So that's my case today. Um, I hope that I'll be convincing. By the way, when you get into this spot, right, where you are aligned and you are in the purpose and in the will of God, it's a magnetic thing. You know, that, that spring day when Aura got it, all of a sudden everybody wanted to be around her because they just, it was contagious. You know, the excitement around a baby boy, everybody just wanted to join in. So I want to take the next step into um, a little further conversation around storytelling, because I hope I can I'll make you all storytellers today, okay? That's my goal at the end of 
at the end of this uh, sermon, I, I hope you just want to charge out there and, and just tell your stories. But there are, so there are basic elements of, of a story, right? The setting and, and the characters and the, and the plot and, and the theme and the conflict. Uh, but there are advanced elements of a story too. So let's just maybe consider this storytelling 201 where uh, there's a point of view. Maybe the, you know, the person, the narrator, the person telling the story. There's uh, the tone of the story that the narrator uses. Emotion, uh, are they funny, are they serious, are they happy, are they sad? Uh, and then the style, of course, how the style is told. Um, those are all very important elements to the story. Why? Because it makes it interesting. You know, that's our role, everyone here. We, we get to make this story, God's infinite story, we get to make it interesting. Because God has put his fingerprint on all of our life. Right? But he's positioned us very uniquely in different careers, in different age categories or classes or cultures. He's given us uniqueness to tell his story, to draw others to himself, to glorify him. So the, the advanced elements, you know, really uh, contribute to the perspective or the drama of the story. That gets to be you. That, that's you and I. We maybe get to be drama kings and queens here for a little bit. That's okay. Right, so let's bring that excitement. So, we we are charged actually to do this. We are charged by Jesus to be compelling storytellers. And and why do I say that? Where does where does that come from? Well, it really comes a, a couple of things. You know, I'm going to talk a little bit about Jesus's prayer in John 17, and then I'm going to go to the Great Commission, where he charges us to do this. And um, our priestly function as found in uh, John 17. So if you remember a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, Mike, Pastor Mike preached on um, alignment. That was that was awesome, by the way. If, if you haven't heard that, if you weren't here to hear that, I'd encourage you to go back to the website and listen to that. That's that's one of the one of the greatest messages on alignment and, and unity that I've heard in quite a while. So it was very, very good. And, you know, just building on that a little bit, it, it reminded me of John 17 when, when Jesus is praying to the Father about unity and he's praying um, about the unity of him and, and the Father and the Holy Spirit and believers to come. And it's just a great picture of him desiring us to be priests along the way here in this story. And what is a priest? A priest is a mediator, right? A priest is a connector. So in our role uh, as as our character, you know, we're all characters here, right? Some of us, Mike, some of us are probably more characters than others, but we're all characters in the story. And our role is really to accomplish unity with God. Of course, ourselves being unified with God, but also to draw others to be in unity with God. That's the first priestly role that we should function in, to want to draw others into that unity. Uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ, of course. That, that is what we need to do as priests. And then uh, the second thing, and this is found in John 17 as well, in verse 13, this is, a, this is a big one. To lead us, to lead them into the fullness of his joy. So the recognition of, of Jesus and salvation, being sanctified, being sanctified goes toward that fullness of his joy. Can you imagine 
what it would feel like to be in the fullness of his joy. Now just think about for a minute the, the really joyous times in your life. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you asked somebody out in the, on a date and they said yes, or maybe you were asked on a date, or maybe it was your first child, or, or maybe your first grandchild. That joy that just kinda, you know, exudes out of, out of you. Imagine the fullness of God's joy in our heart. That's what, that's what he's speaking to here. That's what we're called to, to, to draw others into the fullness of his joy. It's just such an exciting thing for, uh, for me to, to think about. Um, and this, this really brings, brings it together where, uh, we have this charge of Jesus and that's found in the Great Commission. And if we go to, to Matthew, for those of you who have your Bibles, Matthew, uh, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. It's a, it's a very common passage. It's spoken about a lot. I'm not going to get into the deep details, uh, of it, but I, but I do want to hit the critical points here. Okay? Because we are all part, we're all characters in God's infinite story. Okay? So the Great Commission is a, is a part of this story, and it's really a focal point of, uh, the, the, the greater infinite story that God has. Uh, into a time that we are still in. We are still in this time that Jesus is speaking to. And so, you know, the, the thing I don't want us to miss here is that our point of view, our tone, our emotions, and our style, they're all, they're all relevant here. They're all important with what, uh, God has for us in, in His infinite story. So, the theme I'd like us to consider today is that our part in God's infinite story, it can really make a difference. Scott, it can really make a difference when we tell our stories in a way that draws others. It's a magnetic thing, right? I mean, you know, I'm going to talk a little about, bit about hope and faith and how we can, you know, pull that together for people to just excite them about the revelation of Jesus. Um, so, what I'm saying here, Church, brothers and sisters, we need to be ready. We need to be ready to tell our stories. We need to be ready, you know, in that same way that Paul encouraged Timothy in, in, uh, 2 Timothy 4.2, where, you know, Paul's encouraging Timothy to be ready in season and out of season. So, you know, whether you're, you know, assigned to preach on a Sunday like this or whether you're not, you need to be ready. You need to be ready at the drop of a hat, really, to minister God's grace, mercy, and love to somebody who needs it. Why do we make this so hard? Why do we make this so hard? That's a question I've asked myself so many times. Why do we make it so hard? We don't need to. We need to learn to love to to tell the stories that God has given through the word of God and through our own lives. Really of his great work and his desire for, for all to be saved. So he calls us to this action, Jesus does in the story of the Great Commission. So the setting for this story is, of course, the, the mountain outside of Galilee and the, and the time was, uh, that you know, Jesus had just been crucified, he rose again, and, and now he's given his final command to all believers that follow. Okay? So, again, the clock is still ticking on this part of the story, this focal point of the story. So, uh, we're the characters, along with the Father, the Spirit, the Son, and then let's consider for a minute the plot. What's the, you know what's the plot 
of God's infinite story. I mean, this is this is a focal point, but we're talking about a a big plot here, right? I mean, God is love. He created man. He created creation to glorify Himself, and He He gave us a choice. He gave Adam a choice, and He gives us a choice that um, really resulted in the conflict. A choice is a conflict, isn't it? I mean, you choose one thing or you choose the other. That's a bit of a conflict. And in this case, uh, it's a big conflict. I mean, we're talking about the battle of of good versus evil, the, the kingdom of light against the kingdom of darkness. But the real conflict is in our hearts. The real conflict is in our hearts. Choosing God brings life. Not choosing God brings death. You know, Romans 15 speaks to this in the in the man of Adam and the God-man of Jesus. So in Adam's choice, all of mankind now has the starting point of death, sin and death. Because of Jesus' choice, though, all man, all mankind have a choice again. We have a choice once again. So we are either in the judgment where Adam sat, so we're either in judgment of a choice to be in judgment, or we have a choice to be in justification because Jesus took care of all sin and death through obedience all the way to the cross. He redeemed us. He made a way. Gave us a second chance for that choice. And here in the Great Commission, Jesus is commanding us to help others along with this choice. That's part of the theme, actually, is that uh, he's written it in already to the story. He wins. God wins. We know that. So let's look at Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, and 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. What's the, uh, what's the conflict here revealed by Jesus? I usually hesitate to get really dramatic. Um, but I'm going to get dramatic here. Go to the next slide, please. The end of the world is coming. The end of the world is coming, and there are those who are not ready. There are those who aren't ready. And the time is ticking, and we don't know when the end of the clock goes. We don't know when the bomb goes off. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. That's a very exciting thing, that Jesus is coming back. But the problem is, not everybody's ready for it. So in this great commission, Jesus is saying, guys, you know, go, go out there, teach them, show them so that they can be saved. That's really what this comes down to. That's a big conflict. Y'all say that with me? That's a big conflict. Jesus is saying, go, change people with me because the end of the world, this age, is coming. Are we ready for this? 
Oh, are we ready for this? That one kind of makes you tight, doesn't it, at times? I, I sure get tight from that question. I want to be ready, church. Is the church ready for this? Are all churches, and I'm not talking about just churches in the United States, but everywhere, are all churches ready for this? Are we ministering truth and light the way that Jesus is calling us to here? Now, I think clearly the answer is no, but then clearly the question behind that is, okay, so now what? No, it it is what it is. So, you know, let's just get over that and let's get on with the Great Commission here. You know, one of the things that really strikes me right now about um, just our cultures and our our environment, in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, it says these words. And I think, I think the words will resonate with, with you all here in, in what my point is about the, the culture and the church and some individuals. It says this, Woe unto them who call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now there's, there's a lot of questions that I, you know, I'm not going to answer, I can't answer you know, about where everybody's at, where individuals are at, where the church is at. But uh, what, I, what I can discern is that we've got to repent, church. We've got to course correct. You know, I think we're doing some things very well here at this local church. But you look at the big C church, the greater church of the globe, we should be on our knees. We should be on our knees. See, the people are not doing well right now. People are not doing well in our culture. There is so much emotional distress. There's so much conflict. There's so much anger and discontent and anxiousness and depression. And man, it could go on and on and on. Addictions and just go down the list. People are not doing well. And the other side of this is that there are just too many churches and individuals that are not ready to meet that challenge. Okay, so now what? Let's not make this so hard. You know, God has given us the recipe here, and it's it's really easy, except Jesus. <laughs> you know, but our job is to convince people, to compel people that that's the right thing to do, that that is what actually brings life and gives life. And, and what do all men and women want? What do all men and all women that want, want the or walk the earth, what do they desire? I'm not going to answer that quite yet. But how do we get ready? Where are we at? Uh, next slide. Yeah, there's you and I again, the characters. Don't forget that this is not a battle of flesh and blood. Okay, that's part of, that's really the reason we make it so dang hard. Is we get into our flesh. We start looking at people. We start looking at things and we start looking at roles and positions and priorities that, that don't align with God. That's what makes it so hard. This isn't a battle of flesh and blood. You know, if you're taking notes, write this one down, Ephesians six, twelve. Okay, you can read it later. Not a, not a battle of flesh and blood, but of spiritual forces, wickedness in the heavenly places. Conflicts aren't people. Not our jobs, not our careers. It's not science. 
Lord knows it's not politics, you know. Man, we've gone through a pretty tough election cycle here. A lot of division. Our problem is not a left and right problem, okay? It's an up and down problem. We've got an up and down problem. I want to quit talking about the left and right. I want to talk about the up and down. That's what our role is as, as believers, as Christians. And our, our problem is a big human problem, right? We're born into sin. We can't do anything about it. We can't do anything about it in our flesh. There's only one thing that made a way. One person, the God-man, Jesus Christ, that made a way. All the way to the cross he went. He rose again. Now he's commissioned us to draw others to himself, to the glory of God. He is the solution to our problem. So you and I have one of two things in common. Boils down to this. Uh, we're in God's judgment or we're in God's justification. Now, I've chosen door number two. I hope you have as well. And if you haven't chosen Jesus, door number two, please do that today. and Get on your journey to life, to sanctification. It is a glorious thing. It is an exciting thing. It's not boring at all. You know, the world would tell us being a Christian is just so stuffy and so boring, nothing to do. Try to experience it once and then talk about it again. So back to this question of um, what do all men and women desire? You can go to the next slide. Throw a couple words up here. This is the bait, okay? This, is the, this isn't the answer. This is the bait. But... This, these words, by the way, these definitions are my definitions. I mean, I, of course, draw, drew them from, from uh, dictionaries or whatever, but this is just kind of what, what I think they mean. Uh, hope, first of all, that feeling that, that what is known can be, tr- uh, fe- the feeling that what is desired can happen. Okay, when somebody hopes in something, you know, you, you have this desire and only it's like, ah, you know, I think that can happen hope that can happen. You know that. But I'm not sure. That's hope. I really want it. Faith is the confident belief that what is known can be trusted. Confident belief. I mean, you got it. As sure as Brent is wearing a beard right now, you got it. It's a confident belief. What is known can be trusted. All right, so these things put our journey in, in motion. And the person of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, did, did everybody catch that? Okay, the Holy Spirit is not this smoke and, you know, kind of enigmatic thing that's just floating around. The Holy Spirit, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, and we, we can have a relationship with Him. Okay, that's just a fact that, that we should all be excited about because it's like we can really communicate with the Spirit of God. Jesus released that. Thank thank Him. You can't sell what you don't believe it. I'm a business guy and, um, you know, all things start when something's sold. Right? You can't sell something unless you believe in it. If you don't believe in something, it's pretty hard to sell. So, um, you know, back to faith here. What is known? Do you know it? 
Do you know it well enough to sell it? Have you trusted it? Have you, you know, touched it and kind of like felt it and you got it? I, I know it. It's a confident belief. I, I know it. I, I'm going to share a little story here about a lesson that I had in, in this con, confident belief thing. And, um, you know, I've always hoped for the power in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Always hoped for the power in the name of Jesus. And, you know, that power can deliver myself and you and my kids. And there's just such a power in the name of Jesus. And when Olivia, our oldest daughter, was about 18 months old, Mindy, you'll remember this story. When she was 18 months old, she would wake up in the night with just these terrifying screams. And, you know, obviously she was having bad dreams and it happened a few nights in a row. And now we're thinking night, night terrors and, you know, what's going on here? And, um, you know, Mindy and I were, were praying through how to, you know, what to do, you know, asking other parents and what, you know, what do you do about this? And, um, I remember as, you know, as we, as we prayed and continued to pray, there was uh, one particular night that, that I woke up and church, if I've ever felt righteous anger, it was that night. I mean, I was torqued, spiritually torqued because I knew, you know what torqued means? Mad. <laughs> I was mad at the devil that night. And, um, I remember the, and this was a spirit led thing. I mean, it's crystal clear in my mind, even still today. I remember the spirit leading me to get over my daughter and say something like this, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command any spiritual force that's tormenting my daughter right now to listen up. Pay attention. You are not welcome here. You have no right here. And I have the authority through Jesus Christ as her dad to cast you out now. And that moment will be forever burned in my mind. Because as I'm over her, she's got a blood-curdling scream on herself. And when I said the words, now, she went into the most peaceful sleep and rest that I've ever seen on a kid, even to today. That changed my life. I mean, I got a confident belief now, right? I know the words in in the Bible, but now there's this, there's this trust that what what Jesus says you can do, you can do. You can do it. It works. That spirit left her. I mean, I'm not going to say it was uh, like a, you know, a, a possession thing or an oppression thing. It was, it was an oppression. A spirit was oppressing her and in her brain during the night. And it ticked me off and, and it did not have any right there. But my point is, it works. That really boosted my confidence and trust in my God. So don't miss this on the faith part. You know, what is known? What is known? Okay, what is known? Can we just go back to the, the faith definition? What is known can be trusted. Let's focus on that for a minute. Kids give my wife a hard time about praying until the... Sun goes down. I might preach till the sun goes down today. Um, what is known? I can tell you without hesitation that the most transformational thing that I've ever done in my life is read the Word of God. Not even close. I mean, I love to recommend books. I love to recommend teachings. 
as you commit yourself to read the Word of God, it will transform your life. And you know what? I've given the excuse, too, of I don't understand everything. You know, I'm not that good of a reader. can't pay attention through, you know, Deuteronomy and um, Exodus and Leviticus. And You know what? It doesn't matter. You know, you just continue to read it. It will change your life. And I continue, I, I'd encourage you to get on a, on a yearly reading plan or something like that. You know, if you read the Bible 20 minutes a day, you have the whole thing read an entire year. It's an amazing thing. I mean, why do we make it so hard? Um, now we've got these apps that they can actually read it to you. That's okay. You know, have the app read it to you. 20 minutes a day, have the Bible read in a year, changes your life. Amen? Changes your life. Awareness is really the first step, you know, to, you know, to fixing this thing where we're not ready. Well, if you get aware in the knowledge, what is known, that's really the first step. So then let's go to can be trusted. So what is known now, can it be trusted? I can also tell you that without hesitation, the most trust building thing I've ever done in my life relative to trust building is tithing. Everybody's back straightened up like mine did there. Tithing. I mean, really, think about tithing in, in terms of, uh, this is the way I think about it. Okay, tithing is 10%. I mean, it's a term that generally means 10%. I think about time in not just money, but also time and talent. Okay, so how many hours, Bell, how many hours are there in a day? 24, you got that right. All right, thank you, Bell. 24 hours in a day, what's 10% of 24? That's a harder question. I won't, I won't ask Bell that one. Yeah, two, two, generally two and a half hours, you know, something like that. Spend two and a half hours in the day with God? Don't worry, I've sat in the hot boiling water too. Uh, talent, you know, there's a lot of gifted people in here. I know a lot of you, most of you. You consider giving 10% of your talent to the kingdom in some way? You know, sometimes this is hard to separate. That's why I like to take the side of, you know what, God, everything is yours. So I'm going to obey and, and just try to do my best to stay to this 10% thing. But, you know, everything is yours. The one thing that's really measurable you know, when it comes to time and talent, it's a little bit tough. You know, how much time am I actually giving to God? I'm thinking about Him a lot. I'm praying. I'm meditating. Blah 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 blah. What's really objective is finances. That's pretty cut and dry. You know, so giving of ten percent of your finances to do kingdom work in this church has done a great job with that. You know, look at the things that that we're able to do as a church because of our generosity, right? But this is not a this is not a money thing. That's my, that, I don't want us to miss that. This is not a money thing. This is a trust thing. There is not a greater way to worship God. You know, some of you have told me, I can't sing. I can't hold the beat. The greatest way you can worship is by tithing of yourself. That's the ultimate act, in my opinion. Because it's, it's saying to God, I fully trust you. Know, to, to deliver on what you say you will. So let's go to the next slide because this is really what all men 
and women desire. That's love. So faith and, and hope and love abide in these things, but the greatest of these is love. All, all men and women desire to experience true love, that hole in our heart, you know, that people try to fill with things, you know, looking for love in all the wrong places, that sort of thing. All men and women desire love. Well, the essence of love, the genesis, and the, I mean, the beginning and the end and the everything of love is God. God is love. That's, that's the thing. I mean, the mecha- it would only make sense that the mechanism that makes us desire, you know, the highest thing, that we desire the highest thing, that is love. God is love. So it makes, it makes sense that that's the case. And true love is what people respond to. So, as, as the more we grow in faith and, and in hope and in love, the more ready we are and the more capacity we have to give out of our abundance. As we feed ourselves with the word, as we learn to trust God more and we understand the love of God, I mean, you guys are going to be like a bunch of grenades out there with God's love just... Explosions of love all over the place. That's what we want to be, isn't it? Want to be explosions of love. Let's not make it so hard. Tell our stories. Let's get back to the sense of urgency here. Jesus says, "Go." Let's not forget the world. Let's not forget the conflict here. Um, the end of the world's coming. There are those who are not ready. So are, are we going to get ready? Teaching them. Go on to the next slide. Here's a sense of relief here. So I've said this a couple times. Let's not make this too hard, all right? I'm going to use Paul, and I'm going to use Jesus. So how did Paul view teaching them? And if you look to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit because he says, you know, some of you look to Paul, me. Some of you look to Apollos. You know, and, and you want to call yourselves followers of Paul or followers of Apollos. And, and I'm saying as Paul, I'm saying, who are we? Who the heck are we? We're, we're nothing. You know, we're just, we're just ambassadors. We're just storytellers here. The, the point we want you to get to is Jesus. And so Paul says that in there. He realized it wasn't, it wasn't about them, but he also realized it wasn't just on him. You know, he's explaining here that, you know, I plant and Apollos waters, or whatever way it was that he put it here. That, that's a relief, man. <laughs> I mean, you know, you don't have to do everything to bring about sanctification in someone's life or even salvation. You know, we work together in here through the Spirit of God. So it's not all on you, and it's not about you anyway. It's about Jesus. So let's celebrate in that. And speaking of Jesus, how did he teach? How did Jesus teach the people? Yeah, parables. What are parables? Stories. Go to the next slide. Look at all those things. He stole, he told stories of sowing and winemaking and baking and fishing and animal. See? See? Fishing. It's a very important thing in the kingdom. I, I was shaking my finger at my wife there for those of you who missed it. Uh, animal farming, tax collection, investments. I mean, Jesus told stories that were relevant to people, right? I mean, you got the Pharisees. Let's look at the, the opposite, you know, effect here. You got the Pharisees and you know, all 
suit and tied up or, you know, robe with the, with the thingy or whatever and they're stuffy and noses up in the air. Who wants to listen to that? And then you got Jesus who's telling stories. He's getting down there in the, in the, in the dirt and the grime with people and, you know, just showing them, you see this? What happened here? That relates to the kingdom of God in this way. It's like, oh, really? Awesome. That's cool. I get it. See, we can do the same thing. We have the liberty to do that. You know, if we're getting all this experience in a career or we're getting all this experience as a mom or a dad or, you know, whatever you do, use that to tell of stories that relate to the kingdom and watch <laughs> watch your witness unfold. You know, witnessing, I used to be so intimidated by witnessing, you know, because I had this thing in my head of, you know, you got to grab a pile of tracks and go knock on people's doors. I mean... That's effective. I'm not knocking that, but it's not, in my opinion, nearly as effective as really getting in somebody's grill and showing them, you know, see how this happened to me right here? That points to Jesus in this way. It's, oh, man, you know, I've got something like that too. Jesus told stories, and he gave us the liberty to do the same. We don't have to make this hard. We just need to be aligned to the truth by knowing his word and trusting him and using our fingerprints in God's infinite story to draw others to him. It's magnetic. Oh, Jesus was so magnetic. Wasn't he? Everywhere he went, people just, they just congregated to him. So I'm going to, I'm going to close here with a modern day parable. No names in this one. All right. But there was this, Certain vice president several years ago that was sitting in the hot tub with, with his wife and, you know, he's telling her about, oh, you know, the opportunities and the struggles and the things that were going right in, in the business and the so many things that seem to be going wrong in conflicts, especially around people because, you know, he was kind of whining to his wife and saying, I, I, you know, I don't know why I'm Amid so many egos, you know, I mean, there's egos inside of the company and egos outside of the company and there's all these big ideas and all these, you know, big agendas and, you know, people are fighting for culture and I just, I don't get it. Why, why has God surrounded we with so many big egos? And his wife looks at him and she says, well, uh, have you ever considered that he's maybe trying to show you how important it is to control your own? Who said, wow, Mary, was that you? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a, so okay, it reminds me of the Churchill story. I don't know if we got any Winston Churchill story fans here, but um, maybe one last little bonus story. So Churchill was walking with his wife down the street in this elaborate, um, you know, area of, of their city and uh, they, they came across this sweet, this street sweeper and Churchill's wife goes over to him and they're yakking it up and having this great conversation and it was so long that Winston Churchill was like, you know, what's going on there? And uh, so she comes back and and Churchill says, you know, who was that? That street sweep, who, who was that? And she said, well, it's a guy who had a crush on me, you know, years ago and uh, we just kind of caught up on some old stories and, you know, just uh, somebody I know. Churchill looks at her with a kind of smirk on his face and says, well, well, just think of that. If you would have married him, you'd be married to a street sweep. 
<laughs> she said, oh, oh no, dar- darling, if I would have married him, he'd be the prime minister right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those wives. So what are the, what's the moral of this story, I guess? Uh, n- never, never ask a wise woman a leading uh, question in a hot tub. It's going to turn out pretty bad. Is this water getting hot? It's starting to boil in here or something. All right, I've gone way too long. I'm sorry, but let's let's summarize this. God has done fantastically great things, hasn't he, in history and in our own lives. You know, we, we should be active characters. We need to be active characters in a story. Don't just sit in church here. Get ready to go out and share the truth, share life, share your excitement of God in, in your spheres of influence. Um, we got the liberty to do that. Jesus has given it to us. So, so... You know, share your experience, share your stories, share yourself. When God transforms a person, it is an exciting thing to talk about. So let's do it. This is our priestly role, by the way. We are the connectors between those that don't know Jesus and those uh, or, or getting them to, to know him. So connecting with them and connecting them to God's heart I'm just making the case that it's best received through our experiences that align to his word and purpose. Amen? Amen. All right. A bunch of grenades now ready to go out and have some love explosions out there, I guess. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your truth. God, we are so honored and privileged to be kids of yours. Lord, we... uh, We just don't want to take anything for granted that you've given us. God, show us that, Lord, you continue to inspire us by your word and inspire us by the things, the circumstances, and the events that you put us in, God. So help us to see how we can use our experiences, how we can use the the things that you've given us, Lord, to bring glory and honor to yourself. Because, Lord, we know that you created us for a purpose. God, we we know that... um, We glorify you by aligning to that purpose. We thank you that you've given us individual uniqueness, Lord, to to align to that uniquely. God, um, it's such a great description of unity as we read about in John chapter 17, you know, in harmony with you. So God, help us to do that. Help us to love to tell our stories that are aligned to your heart, to the great things you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.